How many of you would say that passion in a marital relationship is important? If you believe that, raise your hand. Passion. Let me ask you this question. What percentage would you say that if a person has been married for five years, what percentage would you say if a couple has been married for five years that their passion is as great at five years as it was during the first year? What percentage would you say, I, I think it's, you know, if, if year one was 100% of passion, you know, then, then year five, is that 125% or would that be 85%? Everybody with me? By the way, put your hands together and welcome our live audience coming in from live feed around the world. Come on. So what is it? So then let's move on down the track. Let's say that year one is 100% passion. Let's go to year 20. Go to year 20. Year 20. Now, year 20, do you believe if, if year one was 100%, then year 20 wouldn't you think, all right, that ought to be, let's use a number, 140%. Y'all with me? 140%. Or do you think it might be down to 55%? Well, what do you mean passion? Well, we get kind of in the rut. We get used to one another. and Used to, I couldn't leave the house without getting a little sugar. You know, but now I might get an I love you every once in a while. Why, when year one, he opened the door for me. I'm telling you, he couldn't wait to get to the door now. <laughs> now, so, so here's what human nature says. That if that is, that is the case of human nature, because we do have a tendency to take one another for granted, and before you know it, the very important is not as important anymore. And we would not argue with the fact, yeah, I, I love her. Yeah, I love him. I understand that. But the reality is, are you packing as much effort into making it more passionate as years go on? Or have you just kind of fallen into the routine of the rut? And Well, we're growing old together, you know. And that really is all that matters. We just, you know. How many of you really like to have passion and you think that's important in your relationship? It's good. Some of you don't. You don't even know what the word means. <laughs> Human nature, without discipline and effort, very seldom reach for a higher goal. Now, the one thing that causes people to reach for higher goals is money. The love of money. And I don't know that I could honestly say to you as I deliver my heart out of this message that people's passion for money is less today than it was 10 years ago. I think people's passion for money is greater today than it's ever been. 
Y'all with me? Love of money. Why? Because, well, love makes the world go round. Well, it might be true in year one. Year two, well, love, you know, makes the world spin a little bit. Year 10, what love? But money is always a motivating factor. Now, the issue with that is that's the only best example that I can give to you. Then what about, we know historically, out of Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, that the church is um, warned in the writing of Revelation there, is warned church passion, year one, creation, you know, first year, second year, uh, third year, and then the author of Revelation comes in and says, wow, you started out, Ephesus, it's really good, but you've, you've, you're not as passionate. You've allowed other things to come in, and, and you're, 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 you're growing cold and growing lukewarm, and the churches did that. Or, or here's, here's another one of those churches, you have compromised and welcomed a diluted behavior into into the core of your religious relationship. And so we have that as an example. And we know that today, when I, I say these words, Jesus is coming back, and in my heart of hearts and in my study, you have heard me say over the last month or six weeks, Jesus is coming back and there is a, an antichrist spirit that is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And if I were to level with you in my study and in the stats, his church is not getting weaker and weaker, but the church is getting less passionate about the priorities of God than ever. Now, why is that? That's human nature. It's not God's will or God's desire. And here's why that has to take place. If you're taking notes, you want to pay attention to this carefully. Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, before I get into Revelation 19 and the message, Revelation 17 talks about the harlot. The harlot is the religious system of the world. The harlot is considered to be a prostitute. When you think of a prostitute, you think of someone that sells their body, sells something that is, should be sacred to something else. Prostitutes for what? For money. Money. And the prostitute says, let me take that which is considered sacred. That is the marriage between a man and a woman. And if I'm looking for a quick fix or an easy deal because I've got challenges, I just, you get a prostitute. And ladies, let me tell you, that's on both sides of the ledger. It's a men get women, women get men, prostitute. You say, wow, it's unbelievable. What does it do? It weakens the integrity of one's humanity. 
It weakens the integrity of marriage. It weakens the integrity of something that should be valuable and sacred in the life of individuals who are couples. Everybody with me? So here's what he says, that in the last days where we're storming, the need for a prostitute gets greater and greater. The head of the prostitute gets bigger and bigger. The compromise of a prostitute becomes acceptable. You say, well, how can that be? Because I will suggest to you, and you just think about this on your own, there are things, there are things in the community of faith that at one time we knew in our heart of hearts and in our conscience that is not right that today we accept. I want to remind us that the church is holy and pure. Amen? And that culture, though we allow culture to dictate to us, this is how much God is going to be a priority in your life. So, it's the great prostitute in Revelation 17, it is the world religious system. It, it happens to be the cults. It happens to be all those things that we know, the Arab cults, uh, whatever the case, Confucius, all of that together. But it also means what he says in Revelations 2 and 3. You've allowed a prostitute to come in and cause you to be lukewarm. You've allowed a prostitute to come in and cause you to forsake your first love. Because you have allowed that to impact you. And in our culture today, it is unbelievable. And here we sit, the only organism, not organization, but organism that is called by God to raise the standard and take the words of Jesus and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And the ones who in our history that we knew walked straight, that held us accountable, that kept us in line, that continued to preach what is considered to be the truth of God's Word are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. Y'all can help me preach a little bit. And those are the things that you see. Well, I just believe that Easter Sunday's coming, that every house in the neighborhood shouldn't have vehicles in their lawn and driveway on Easter Sunday morning. How about that? That somebody ought to be in the house of God honoring our Redeemer. That's Easter Sunday. So as we understand, if we're not careful, we accommodate the easy work of the prostitute. You go, go over to, uh, to places in Europe. You can go right now and you will see walking the streets in the picture windows today's diet and variety of a prostitute. And they stand there in all their glamour and glitz. And you can walk by and walk in the building and said, I'll take that one. Here's how much it'll cost. And there it is. And it is legal. It's legal. It's legal. Little by little, we give up the room. Why? Because there is a spirit that is at work all the time. There is a spirit, unless that spirit is called out 
by a person anointed by the power and the Spirit of God, guess what? The enemy will have a heyday. I said to someone the other day as they were talking movies, I said, if I'm watching a movie and the F-bomb comes down, I'm going to get up or I'm going to turn it off because I refuse to allow a word like that to be used in my presence and give permission to the enemy to penetrate my mind with that. Are you with me? You're just an old fogey. You're the preacher. You're supposed to do that. Listen, friend, you give up one inch and the devil will gain a mile. How are we doing so far, everybody? It's the prostitute, the harlot. That will continue, continue to grow unless the church and the believers, and we get together in one mind, one spirit, and one accord. God calls us to live a holy life. Here's Revelation 18. I'll get to 19 in a minute. Revelation Revelation 18 deals with Babylon. We know that the harlot, of course, is the prostitute. We know that Babylon represents a world, a world economic and political system. It represents the biggest and the best. It represents a political system and a religious system. And I ask you this question. What is it about the religious or the political system in the world today that is looking out for the church that declares the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how many times do we make decisions in the political arena that seem to be the best thing politically but has nothing to do with the rock-solid value of this book right here as our core guide? If, in fact, a politician, any politician on any, con, any floor of Congress or the Senate were to stand up and say, but listen, I know what the law says, but listen, the Bible in Revelation 17 says this, that man would be, woman would be left out of the chamber. But it will never happen until someone is bold enough to do it. So we have the world economic and religious system. The world or political system, economic and politics. Politics can continually erode an economic system that more and more and more. Here's what will happen. The European nations will get together. You say, well, but I, I know that Great Britain right now, they're saying we're going to uh, we're gonna get out of the European Union. They might for a brief period of time, but I'll give you a little prophecy. They'll be right back before you know it. Why? Because the Word of God declares that that is their future. Why? We talk about Russia. We hear a lot about it today. I never knew when I heard this morning what Thousand Island dressing. Where did they get the name for Thousand Island dressing, which some say that really is Russian dressing? It's called Thousand Island dressing because it has little pickle chips in it. I'm thinking, that's so weird. Why in the world would any organization spend their time in trying to explain to me what 
Thousand Island dressing is. The point is, the economic system and the political system, like the harlot of the religious system to dilute the bride. Do you know what the bride looks like without spot or wrinkle? That's who we are. The religious and the political system is at war with the core values of this book right now. It's at war with it. If you don't think the devil is working 24-7, working in every way that he can to break down the core and the fiber and the influence of the church of Jesus Christ, you would be sadly mistaken. So we have 17 and we have 18. And then this period of time, there are judgments. For example, at any moment, the trumpet could sound and the rapture of the church could take place. You believe that? He says, keep your eyes on the Lord. You know, he's coming back. The rapture could take place. And what the Bible says is the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who are alive and remain be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture of the church. There will be a majority that will not go in the rapture. We will ease into the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And you will see things like coddling Russia, coddling North Korea, all of that. Peace. Is that what you want? Sure, peace. And not only that, the nation of Israel will find themselves in a, in a coddling emotional trauma. And they too will fall in to that system first three and a half years. Everybody will love everybody. Now listen, think with me for a moment. The only influence right now that is a standard of goodness and godliness is the church. And now the church is gone. It's gone. There is no standard for anyone to preach like this. Three and a half years. Then the next three and a half years, the Antichrist spirit he begins to make his move. Jews are tortured and beaten. Individuals who might come to their senses and say, boy, I blew it. My mama told me about it, and now, well, I didn't believe it, but it's real. i got to live for Jesus. And you will be put into a corner in ways that is unimaginable to mankind to either take the mark of the beast or deny Jesus Christ. I don't want any of my family to have to face that crucial decision. In my heart of hearts, the last I've said, bring somebody. Because if we're not careful, we get used to the mundane and the usual and the passion of fulfilling the great commission and the work of God and faithfulness to the church. 
Someone said the other day, you, 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 ask us for, you ask us for too much commitment. Oh, I do. Well, according to the Bible, I'm going to stand before the Lord. He's going to say, why did you coddle? And why did you back away? Because you wanted to be popular and accepted. I do not want to do that, but neither do I want to be mean and hateful and bitter and judgmental. Amen? Everything spoken in love. That being true, that second three and a half years, you see the different plagues that are taking place. People are dying by the hundreds of thousands, all streaming us into where we are, into what's considered to be the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, of course, is at that time in which Russia comes toward Israel. But here's what the study says. Russia is, it, it uses several, in a mystery. Russia in a mystery of divine intervention is totally, absolutely defeated. And no one can explain why except the judgment of God. But he's given us a taste during 67 and in 48 when Israel became a nation. He gives us a taste later on at a, several times of individuals actually showing up on the battlefield that Israel could not account for that they absolutely believe was a divine intervention of God intervening so that, that the, the nation of Israel would plow their way through to independence. And unexplained things happened. Well, that's what we believe. It should never be a surprise to us when unexplained things happen. And we say, that has to be God. So we come into the battle, Russia is there, and then here's what we, we find. We find that all the nations, now, the spirit of, of the Antichrist, the spirit of the beast, the spirit of Satan himself is really digging in because he now has received several blows of supernatural judgment of God. And like a person who does not face reality, believe that they can come against Israel, come against God, and they march in unity. Can you imagine that? China? Can you imagine, can you imagine Africa? All of those. Syria coming into the valley there of Megiddo. I've stood there on Mount Carmel, looked down on the valley. Napoleon said this. Napoleon said the most perfect battlefield on the planet is that plain. The most perfect battlefield is that plain that God says that's where the battle is going to be fought. The nations will gather, gather the mighty kings will gather. The great powers of the earth will gather. The spirit of the prostitutes will gather. The spirit of the political and economic system will in fact gather. And the Bible says, the Bible says that God, Jesus, 
The judgment is that hailstones, earthquakes, earthquakes literally level the planet. Jerusalem is totally, topographically, is totally rearranged. And that hailstones, more than 100 pounds each, will come and destroy a strong majority of humanity. And the judgment of God, and in that day, the final judgment, the final judgment of that era will come. And when there is blood and humanity of horses and people lying stacked up several feet deep, then it says that Jesus, the Son of the living God, Because when he ascended, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. But when he comes back in the, for the second coming, you've got the rapture. Rapture of the church is different from the second coming. His feet do not touch the ground in the rapture. It's just a trumpet, you and I, the dead in Christ, those that are alive, we go up to meet the Lord in the air. But in the second coming, the end of the tribulation period, his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, and it splits. It says from east to west, the split takes place east to west. That's in the Scripture. And then the segments of the east side and the west side began to push away from one another. So the north goes north, the south goes south. And that Jerusalem now is leveled. The temple is gone. And Jesus comes back with a multitude of the saints And here's what, the, here's what Scripture tells us. And every eye that remained, they were not killed in Megiddo. Every eye saw him when he returned. Is that hard with the technology that we have today for every eye to see? And then that's where we pick up in the last five minutes that I have to deliver this message. So I live under the pressure of the spirit of the prostitute. So do you. I live under the pressure of the spirit of Babylon. I live under the pressure that takes us further and further away from God. I live under the pressure that the decisions that used to be easily easier to make in the core of who I am as a Christian becomes harder because culture has influence because of where I live. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to constantly get everything I can get my hands upon to renew my spirit, to renew my heart, to build my faith that causes me not to retract away from faithfulness and commitment, but causes me to bear down because I come to realize that one day I will see is coming back after the rapture. And here's what he said. He's going to arrive on a white horse 
And that happens in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. His body is not pierced. There are no grave clothes. His face is not marred. There are no crown of thorns anymore. He's no longer submissive to the devil's ploys, and he's not looking for a grave. He arrived, and he's prepared to, to bring the final intimidation upon the enemy. And that as we understand that, we know that in his hand are the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And that you and I, though sometimes becoming weary, sometimes forget because of the culture and the lies of the enemy, and sometimes because of human nature, we retract. And so here it is. He is faithful and true. Say that with me. He is faithful and true. Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven standing open. Who's doing the, who's doing the seeing here? John. John, on the Isle of where? The Isle of Hawaii? Isle of Patmos. Here's what he says. <coughs> I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was the white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. He's coming to make war. The battle of Armageddon at that moment, we understand that those are encouraging words, that he is faithful and true. And when I feel the pressure of the prostitute, and I feel the pressure of the Babylon, and I feel the pressure of an economic system, and I feel the pressure of a political system, and I feel the pressure of people wanting to get cold and indifferent, I have to remember this, that there is absolutely one that is faithful and true. And then I can always remember, he is the mark that I'm striving for, and he is the example that I'm looking at, and he is the one that's going to judge me one day, and he is faithful and true, whether or not he's offering his love or whether he's offering his judgment, he will be just faithful and true. Somebody say amen. amen. By faith, we believe the Word of God. We lived our lives that way. We endured diseases. We waited to see him conquer. And now we see him as a conquering king and realize that he is faithful and true. And remember that every time preacher preached and preached the core value of the Word of God. It was the declaration of His love for me, and I have to determine in these days in which human nature retracts and withdraws, I have to remember one that is faithful and true, that will never let me down, that will never forsake me, that will never disappoint me. God, I want to give you everything that I have because I know the end is coming, and I want to be certain that I'm doing what your Word declares because I want to be known as faithful and hear you say, well done when you live in the midst of those kinds of spirit. It is the job, it is the responsibility of the church to always tell the lambs, that's you, to tell the sheep, you can climb higher. You don't have to go lower. You don't have to be tantalized by the present. You can draw close to God. You can be more than a conqueror. You can keep your eyes on the Lord from which your Redeemer comes. You can believe in the midst of all kind of difficulty. God has the power, and in a moment's notice, he can stamp out all the sin, all the darkness, every devil and every demon he can overcome through you. So it's easy to believe I can be more than a conqueror. number two, dipped in blood. Revelation 19, 12, and 13, his eyes were like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. One name the enemy despises is Jesus. 
Why? Because he is the supreme conqueror. One authority is not a law book in some law library somewhere. It is the Word of God, my friend. You speak it from your mouth, you hold on to that, you do what it says, and you win every single time. You might be stripped, you might be beaten, you might be ridiculed, but at the end of the day, something will resonate in your heart of hearts that say the Word of God is what I'm abiding by, it's what I'm going to live by, and I'm not going to let the athlete of culture caused me to forsake or compromise this Word of God. His eyes have a focus like fire, and his head are many crowns, and his robe is dripped and dipped in blood. His eyes express purpose of absolute focus. His crown expresses absolute in complete victory, more than one, many crowns. His robe is dipped in blood, suggests that sacrifice was made, that on the cross of Calvary that sacrifice was paid, and that the ultimate penalty for that cross was death. And there is not a period there. There is a comma. Yes, he died. But he rose on the third day. Hallelujah. And in that resurrection power, he took death and replaced it with life and gave us complete and total victory at whatever cost it was for him. And we remember when we take communion, this is what you've done for me. So there's nothing I can complain about justifiably. There's nothing that I can murmur about justifiably. There's no little penny any things that's big to me right now that dragging me down that I can really set up before God and say, this is why I'm not totally passionate about you. Nothing now is held by the enemy at this point in time. And through him we have liberty. And all our promises are fulfilled his his robe that is dipped in blood signals the last display of power. That not God, not Jesus, not a mighty army, but an angel will take the enemy and put him in the abyss. No battle which says there is there is nothing that is stronger and more influential and more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. I plead the blood. Finally, King of Kings. Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, Make America Great Again. <laughs> it's not what he says. By the time Jesus returns, America will be a pitiful excuse when God allowed America to be born free 
It was to establish the opportunity for those who were a part of America to have the liberty to put God first and to worship without interference from government. But as a result of that, that spirit of Babylon has been allowed to come in. But we know that in that moment, it's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you look at your television. Sharon often will tell me, turn it, I can't take that anymore. How can you watch that channel? Here it is for me. Personally, I'm not afraid of what the enemy says or does. But here's what else I know. I also want to know what the enemy's thinking so that I have the ability as a Christian who's not afraid of darkness to be able to declare, that's a lie right there. That's a lie. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a statement, here it is, of sovereignty. When I was coming up, my dad was sovereign. (laughs) We knew who the boss was. I did not get that trait. We knew his word was final. A guy like me tested it. Amen? Nothing wrong. Sometimes, some of us, you have to test it. You have to. But God is sovereign. What does that mean? There is nothing the enemy is ever going to pull out of his arsenal. But what God hasn't already thought about it, seen it, dealt with it, and condemned it. He's sovereign. There's no new headache going to come along, no new migraine that's going to come along, no new ruler trick that's going to come along. God is sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you see the riots of civil disobedience and you see so many other things, just remember this, and you walk in Amsterdam and you look in the picture windows of the prostitutes standing there, just remember this, my God is sovereign and sin does not rule over him. He is in complete power and absolute authority. Absolute authority. It means that he is the ruler of all rulers and no other will be before him or after him. So if I wrap up here for a moment, I come to the conclusion I live in a carnal culture. I know that physically I live under an oppressive spirit. I know that the Antichrist, I know that the enemy of our soul, I know Satan is real. I know demons are real. I know all that. But that's not what I want to spend my time on. I just want to salute that and say, I know you're there. I realize that. I understand that. And I pray. That's one of the wonderful, beautiful things of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have a heavenly language the devil cannot understand. And every day, talk to him in that heavenly language and say, God, I want you to know Though I am of this world, I'm of this world and the culture in which I live, what resides in me is not earthly born. What resides in me is supernaturally gifted. And though my body may die, my spirit 
is going to live on forever and ever and ever. And I want to behave as one who conquers in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, won't you stand and give the Lord a clap offering? I got to stop. Time's up. Father God, in your name, I uh, thank you. I thank you for all the people looking and watching live. I pray that you would bless them. I pray in a moment as we give just a moment of altar call, we pray a prayer that everybody here and wherever they may be will pray this prayer. Because not one of us is without sin. But for those of us who have confessed our sins, and received you as Lord and Savior, we have the ability to say, Lord, I want my vessel clean and pure again. I want to do all I can, and when I fall off the wagon again, and many will, I want to get back up. I want to get back on. And I want to know that one day for sure and certain that I'm going to be one of those when Jesus comes back in the second coming that's in that mighty army that watches him plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. But no human nature will be a part of me at that time. I will have my blessing and my adoption into kinship with Jesus. And for those that are here tonight that are not sure, and for those that might be listening by whatever means of communication, or that person that may be lonely and that one that may have fallen off the wagon, that one that is really very pitiful because they realize after tonight they let the enemy snooker them in. And they're not living the kind of life that they know that they really want to live because they have believed a lie. Well, tonight is the night that that reckoning takes place and it's through the power of forgiveness. So would all of you, by listening, by some means, would you repeat this prayer, everybody? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, have I have sinned. I am sorry. I, am sorry. I, need I need forgiveness. I confess with my mouth, I with my mouth. that I have erred. I've made bad decisions. bad decisions, and I need your help. I, need your help. I, believe, by faith, I believe by faith, as I pray this prayer, I, pray this prayer, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. So right now, now, with all of my strength, strength, with all of my understanding, understanding, and with all of my passion, passion, I say thank you, Jesus, Jesus, for redeeming me. I will serve you. I will will love you. I will will abide in your word. And I thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together and let's just really thank the Lord. So the altars are open if you uh, need to slip into this altar. You know, the Holy Spirit will give you direction if you'll pay attention. And matter, matter of fact, it's a good way to judge just how obedient you are. Because here's what I truly believe. If you can't be obedient in the church, In little things, you ain't going to be obedient in the little things out there. Because in this room right now, there is a holy hush of God's Spirit.
that's here. Happens every time. You need healing. Whatever God says to you, would you respond as we sing this song? Would you do that?